Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name's Richie Rump, and joining us my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Not much, Richie. How you been? Well, uh, I'm good, and you're good, and our homes are good, and uh, we're all good. So, so that's good. Yeah, that's, we're all that's all very good. So, for those of you who didn't know, we had a little bit of a hurricane scare last week. So, Hurricane Matthew uh, was really coming up to be the worst case scenario for Florida, and the worst case scenario for a hurricane in Florida is a major hurricane uh, with speeds at over 125 miles an hour going straight up the coast. And in that, you would see uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm, and Jacksonville, as well as the Space Coast, kind of all get destroyed by um, this kind of major hurricane. And Matthew was very close to doing that. It was very, very close uh, to doing that worst-case scenario. But luckily, he stayed off the coast and kind of veered away. And uh, we got lucky this time, Seth. Yeah, we definitely got lucky. Um, you know, some of our friends in St. Augustine and Central Florida, closer to the coast, definitely got a lot of rain, a lot of flooding. I haven't heard of any reports about any deaths, so that's that's a good sign, right? Um, you know, I know in Cuba, not Cuba, in Haiti, you know, there was definitely a lot of reports of, of loss of life. So, you know, we, we definitely have to be thankful for that, that we didn't have any any of those type of reports on our side. Yeah, there there, there were. Um, it, were there? it was Yeah, it was single digits here in the U.S., and Cuba had, had some as well. Haiti was the, the by far the most, and um, every time that something, a natural disaster hits Haiti, my heart just breaks. You know, you and I both have a good friend, and a friend of the show, um, Dave Nicholas, who's from Haiti, and um, the, those, uh, the Haitians have been through a lot. And not just from, you know, disasters and natural disasters, too. So, um, you know, our, our thoughts and our prayers are with, you know, the Haitian people and everyone who was affected by uh, Hurricane Matthew. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, but uh, you had a little, this is your, you, you, just, you just bought a house. Yeah. And you've got this hurricane coming within two weeks of you purchasing this house. So, what was your preparation like? I think this was a sign from above. To, to really test and see, is this guy really serious about owning a home? <laughs> because what's the likelihood that, you know, as I close in a house, renovate the house, move into the house, and two weeks later, there's a Category 4 hurricane heading straight <laughs> towards me. And in my head, I'm like, well, should I leave and <laughs> go to Tampa? <laughs> or, you know, should I stay and, you know weather the storm and you know go down with the ship kind of thing like well, like what do i what am i supposed to do exactly you know so yeah so obviously we stayed and you know i i, I had to dig out the shutters out of the garage i had to put them up you know i had to make sure that we have everything we needed you know dry food enough water you know you you, you don't know what's gonna happen right so it's you, know, you got to make sure you have enough you know things to survive on like what's gonna happen when electricity goes out you know batteries for flashlights and you know those type of things going on yeah it's it's a it's a really rough situation we kind of went through that here um after andrew and um you know i live in the southern part of Dade county which was completely devastated by andrew and it was really a a rough difficult time and i had just started college at the same time so that was that was interesting and uh the other thing I, th- I thought was interesting about your situation, Cecil, is that you start putting out the panels and start realizing that, wait, I don't have the hardware for these panels. I can't put these things up. So so that's another thing, right? So I'm putting up the panels and I'm, I'm missing some parts, right? So I, you know, the story is I called the owner, the previous owner of the house, and I'm like, you know, hey, do you know where, uh, do you know where this stuff is? Do you have them? And he's like, oh man, buddy, like I've never put these up because I've never been in a hurricane since I've lived in the house. I have no idea where they are. Oh. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So, so I go to Home Depot, right? That's that's what normal people do. Yes. So Home Depot during a natural disaster just before is like the worst place that you could go. Yep. You know, I went to form Home Depots. Like parking was crazy because you know everybody and their grandmother was there. The shelves were empty. Everything sold out. You know, pretty much all that was there was wood and sand, right? Like everything is completely gone up at Home Depot. 
Um, and so I went to Home Depot, out to Home Depot, looking for parts, looking for, you know, replacement yep. parts, makeshift yep. parts, like things that I could substitute in. And it just was not happening, man. And then, um, so eventually, too, I, you know, I, I called up Richie and he was able to help me out. You know what I mean? And I drove an hour down to Miami. <laughs> it was I, more. It was longer. It's longer than Miami. <laughs> yeah. An hour down, a little bit more than an hour down. And then obviously I had to make the same trek right back up. And the funny thing is, on my way home, you know, the again, the previous owner of the home called and he's like, um, hey, you know, I found all those parts that you were looking for. <laughs> my wife must have packed them away in this, you know, in, in one of our storage containers. I found them for you. And I'm like, dude, you have no idea what the past two days have been for me <laughs> searching for these things. And now he's found them. But you know what? Hey, I, I, I was just thankful, man. I was just glad that, you know. Regardless of whichever way it went, you know what I'm saying? I, I had the materials that I needed to put them up. And yeah, it didn't even rain. At least it didn't rain by me. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's the best case scenario for us is that, you know, we get all ready to go and it's much ado about nothing. And, um, yeah. you know, that's what we hope. That's what we've had over the past 10 years here in South Florida. And we kind of hope that's what continues to, to happen. So glad we're all safe. Glad everything is, uh, is, is, is cool, man. It's cool. Right. But we we do, uh, you know, the show does go on and we do have a giveaway that we're right in the middle of. We're giving away Brad Meltzer's House of Secrets for our 50th episode. So if you tweet us at AFTK Podcast and with the hashtag of happy50, that's happy50, you could be entered into winning this autographed copy of Brad Meltzer's The House of Secrets. We'll ship it to you for free and it'll be all yours. It is a great read. My wife has read it and I am just started it and uh, can't wait to get through it. So tweet us and you can be owner of an autographed copy of Brad Meltzer's The House of Secrets. So Cecil, I know you've got an event coming up. Why don't you tell us all about it? I do. So me and you know our buddy Ashley Grant, Ashley who's on the Aurelia team, we're putting on a workshop where we're going to be talking about ASP.NET Core and ES2015. So essentially, we're going to take you through two days of hands-on exercises and training, talking about how you can build with the latest web technologies, really responsive, efficient, mobile-ready web applications. So if you're in for the Fort Lauderdale area, again, it's going to be November 4th through 5th. Um, we're going to start at 9 o'clock and go all the way down to 5.30 in the afternoon. Um, it's going to be two days of just really awesome, really fun training. And I hope you guys can make it. So if you can, you know, we're going to have the link down in the show notes in one of the links. And um, so you can click it and you can check it out. That's going to be a great event. So we'd love to see you there. Yes, sir. So who we talk to today? So today we're talking to Jesse Liberty. Jesse is an independent software developer, consultant, and author. He hosts the popular Yet Another Podcast. And he's the author of over two dozen best-selling books. He's also the author of numerous Pluralsight courses on everything from Angular to Xamarin. Jesse is a certified Xamarin developer, a Xamarin MVP, and a Microsoft MVP. He was a technical evangelist for Microsoft, distinguished software engineer at AT&T, software architect for PBS, and vice president of information technology at Citibank. Wow, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and that's just a small inkling of of what he's done and kind of he's kind of a big deal in in our circles. So the first of the conversation we had with him, which was really great, but also the second one, which we typically don't do. We've done it, but typically you're one episode and you're done. But this was so good, we wanted to bring him back again. So um, here we go. Round two. This episode was recorded on August 1st. 2016, and now our conversation with Jesse Liberty. And now, away from the keyboards, feature conversation. Not to change subjects on you, but I, I do want to say that uh, although I've been doing Xamarin for the past couple of years, I've uh, rediscovered Angular now that Angular 2 is out, and also rediscovered TypeScript. And TypeScript is wonderful, just such a brilliant way of doing javascript with strongly typed and with classes and and if you're if you're a c-sharp programmer it's a very natural transition in fact i'm doing a presentation called typescript for c-sharp programmers because typically typescript is taught for javascript programmers and i think it's a different perspective but when, once you have typescript then you can dive into angular 2 which is i think an amazing program very uh, i'm sorry an amazing framework very, very flexible and a really exciting way to do web programming. So I'm, I'm kind of jazzed about getting into that again. So 
you know, you mentioned TypeScript. Um, I've just rediscovered JavaScript myself and doing a lot of stuff with AWS and Node. Can you explain to me and the rest of the um, audience of what exactly is TypeScript and how and why would I use that? Sure. TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript. So anything that you build in TypeScript is transpiled down to JavaScript. However, what TypeScript offers you is type safety, which means that you're going to catch your errors either in the editor or at the time you build your application, but not leaving those errors for when it's running. And that's very important because that means that your error will be highly reproducible instead of being flaky or living in some hidden place until your end user stumbles across it. So type safety is great. The other thing is that TypeScript has classes and it has class inheritance and it has interfaces. So it has many of the advantages and features of languages like C Sharp, but as I say, it transpiles into JavaScript, straight JavaScript. And so anything you build in TypeScript, you can turn right directly into JavaScript. So that for me is a extremely appealing way to do scripting because it's, it's much safer. It's much, uh, you're much less likely to go down a rabbit hole and you get, in my opinion, you get cleaner, more readable, more maintainable code. So you're talking about TypeScript, and a little bit earlier we were talking about C. As as somebody that's you know had a had a successful and, and long career, like how do you manage transitioning between these different technologies, and and how do you keep learning, you know, as you you know you progress? You know, I used to work with somebody who said there are two kinds of people in the world. One kind thinks there are two kinds of people in the world, and the other kind doesn't. That that said, um, I do think that there are two different perspectives on programming. One is let me get really good at this and then do it a lot. And the other is, let me get good at this and then do something else and learn something else. And I think the second one is what's required. I think that the industry changes too fast. So it used to be that you needed to learn a new language and a new approach, say, every five years. But now it's down to every year or two. For me, that's part of what makes it great, is that you don't get into a rut. Now, hopefully your skills get a certain amount of depth. You, you don't want to be just skimming the surface. You know, I do know folks whose knowledge is a mile wide and an inch deep, and that's not the position you want to be in. But um, in terms of how I go about it, I typically, there are people who just dive into the documentation and then start coding, and I admire those people. I typically get either a book or a Pluralsight course or in some way have someone help me get through the first, you know, crack the surface. And then I start building things with it. And when you, it's very important to build something real, even if it's for yourself. Because if you, if you just build little demos, you don't really run into the hard part. And so I set out either to, I usually set out to build a project that's going to force me to find the, hard parts and to figure out how to solve those hard parts. And then I, I frankly take advantage of, of friends in the industry who can point me in the right direction. One problem that I've kind of had to figure out for, for myself and my personal learning is trying to determine what do I want to learn and, and how much time do I want to spend learning it? Mm -hmm. Because kind of like you said, like every year, or every ever so often, there's always so much new and interesting stuff to, to, to learn about. You know, I remember this year, earlier in the year, I said, well, hey, I want to learn Scala. Scala looks like something interesting. You know, I, I want to be able to understand how that works. But, oh, but then there's Go, and then, oh, I've, you know, I've, you know, I want to look into Python again. And so I'm like, at some point, you have to be like, okay, stop. Let's, let's see what exactly is going to be valuable for you today, or in my case, what's going to be valuable for me today, and, and really just try and focus in on that. So I, I feel it's important that today, developers today, like we have to figure out what that balances for us. Yes, I agree. I, I've made my life a little bit easier by staying more or less in the .NET stack for a very long time. So there are still a lot of new things that come along, but they're within that the bounds. So I'm not spending my time learning Python or Ruby or Go, although you know it's very appealing, but you can't know everything. And the industry 
gets more and more complex. So you know more and more about less and less is the expression, I believe. And, and soon you know everything there is to know about nothing. Uh, so <laughs> I try to find that balance where I'm learning the stuff that's going to help me move forward, but not try to learn everything. Do you see that the tech industry, especially for us developers, is becoming more specialized, more like doctors? That's an interesting question. Um, I think it is definitely becoming more specialized in the sense that each of the areas that you might focus on have increasing depth. So, for example, I said, well, I want to get back into web programming. I did web programming for a very long time. I want to get back into web programming. Well, that is a really big area. And so you have to pick what you mean by web programming and where your focus is. So I'm focusing at the moment on Angular 2, but in order to take advantage of Angular 2, I really need to understand at least some about the back end, which means I need to understand ultimately some about ASP uh, core and on and on and on. So I think that, yes, there is a tendency to become more specialized, but not so much that you're blind to the pieces that connect to the pieces you're concerned about. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, cause I, I was independent for a while as well, but I went more towards the, the I was towards more the data side of mm-hmm. the house, which was, which was interesting for me because I was able to really quickly throw my development skills over into the data side and something that not a lot of folks have, which is that kind of unique mix of, of data and developer which was really cool for me. So I could to, to kind of understand both sides and how everything worked together. I, I kind of wanted to be that specialist, right? And say, Hey, I could come in and, and uh, talk to your development team and talk in their language. I could go to your DBA team and talk in their language and then um, be able to uh, communicate between the two and really fix your, your problems as far as getting data in and getting data out. The, the industry is not there yet. The industry is not at the point where I need this specialist to do exactly this because I think most teams don't know what they're they're missing. Yes. <laughs> they just they just don't understand. They know something's wrong and they don't they don't know uh, who could go in or, or what needs to be done to fix it. So I've always thought that we are moving kind of in that direction, the kind of specialty. Except the the industry doesn't really know how to to put people together. Oh, you're a specialist in this. Here, let me put you with this team who has that need. I agree. And and also it's hard to know what kind of quality someone's going to bring to the project unless you know someone who's worked with them. And the problem with that is that you then have this small core of people who are referring each other and that makes it very hard to diversify. And so you end up with, when you go to conferences, if you look around, you see it's overwhelmingly male and it's overwhelmingly white or Asian. And as an industry, it's a real problem because we're in an echo chamber. We are talking to ourselves. And and bringing in that diversity is difficult because we tend to work with people who either we know or someone we know knows. And I'm not quite sure how you solve that problem. The problem doesn't scale, right, to lots of people. It's just, oh, the people that I know and the people that I've worked with. And you're right, how do I get out of that rut? Right now, how do I get out of my little circle and interact with with different people? Because there are other good people that are out there. Right. You know, but how do I, you know, how do we plug that together? I know there's people like, you know, the stack folks are are trying to to plug that niche. But I I think that's a really tough nut to crack. Absolutely. I, I think that's the industry definitely has issues around bringing more women in and bringing more diversity to the industry. And I I believe there are folks who are actively working on it, but, but it is difficult. And when you're hiring, it's difficult because I've, I've done a fair amount of hiring and I've watched a fair amount of hiring and I don't think we know how to do it yet. I, I, I don't think we're good at filtering for people who are going to work well as a good fit with the team or in terms of their skills. I mean, sometimes we get lucky and we get great people and, and some people are better at doing this than others. But the um, standard interview is is a very difficult way to get to know how this person is going to fit. 
Yeah, even the uh, technical interviews these days are are just, you know, um, I've walked into a lot of them and it's just the team members who know the answer are, are kind of just showing you how much they know yes. or at least how much of the answer they know as opposed to trying to figure out, well, how will, will this person work with us? Yes, I agree. I agree. As someone who works at home, even if I'm collaborating, I work under conditions that are different from anything you're going to give me at an interview. Now, I'm very lucky because I'm at a point where I can, most of the time, I can walk into an interview with, a, with you know, a, a resume and with, with a presumption, a positive presumption for much of the time. But if you're starting out or trying to build a reputation, it's very, very difficult. And describing how you can be successful and, and why you're the right person, I think that's, that can be tough. Now, there is such a need for developers and the industry is so hungry for developers that that offsets what I'm saying. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's important for especially young developers to get out there and write their own software and really put it out there. Yes. I know the last two positions that I have, including the current one that, that I have with, with Brent Ozar, you know, me knowing Brent had a lot to do with it, but also me writing some software that people could use and it's readily available and people, so people could see my work and see what I've done. I think that went a huge way for, for me not only getting interviews, but also getting hired. I, uh, I recall it was uh, my previous position. I walked in there and, you know, I said, well, I started talking about how I built this tool called Statistics Parser, which helps format SQL Server output. And, you know, the, one of the, the developers who was interviewing me goes, yeah, I know it very well. I use it all the time. I want to thank you for writing that. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. Oh, that's awesome. Really? So tell me more about your experience and how I can make it better. But, um, you know, having those things out there and saying, oh, by the way, you could go see what I've done and it's here and here and here. Um, that, that just that helps you as, you know, the developer with maybe not a lot of voice but at least shows people that you're out there and you're doing things. Yes, yes. Total abrupt change of subject. I mentioned Scott Guthrie and I mentioned Anders, and I didn't mention Miguel de Casa, who is, not, who is also in that list of, of absolutely brilliant and a really nice guy. And I, I had the opportunity to have lunch with him, and we talked a little bit about the very thing you're talking about, which is building applications and having them out there. And now with open source and as a uh, well-established way of doing things, if I were new to development, what I would do is start an, an open source project or contribute my application as open source so that not only would that be valuable in, in terms of the project, but it would make it very easy to see the code that you've you've used to create it. Yeah, even if you're not proud of it. <laughs> even if you're not proud of it. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things you were talking about, writing demos and learning things, I also think it's important for us as developers to finish those kind of side projects and demos because I have tons of projects that I just started and just kind of abandoned. But when you start finishing things, it, it's you, you've got that learning, but then you've also taken it to the next level of, oh, it works, but now does it work under all conditions? Right. right. And, and then you could throw it out there and then you could actually have people see it and whatnot. But if you just have this demo and it just kind of works under one condition and doesn't work for them all, you know, that's, that's not a very good look on you. Yes. This is one of the reasons I really love Xamarin's test cloud. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but what it lets you do after you've built or as you're building your Xamarin application, typically you do it towards the end. It allows you to hook into any number, I think they have up to a thousand different devices. So you can say, well, I want to test this on, you know, a Nexus 7 and I want to test it on an iPad Air and, a, and et cetera, et cetera. And you're not testing it on simulators. You're testing it on physical devices that are, in, you know, up in the cloud, in the Xamarin cloud. And it's a great way to learn exactly what you're saying, which is this works fine on these three devices, but boy, does it fall on its face on this other one. <laughs> yep. So Jesse, I got to ask you, since we're talking about open source a little bit, do you have any open source projects that you've worked on or contributed to? 
Um, I've made small contributions to open source projects, not nearly as much as I would like to. There's a wonderful open source project called the Humanitarian Toolbox. I have not contributed to that significantly, but it is well worth, I haven't contributed to it barely at all, but it is well worth knowing about. These are developers who are building highly useful applications that are used in emergencies. So they're building software to help understand uh, where the emergency workers are or what kind of supplies are available, where they need to be distributed to and so on and so forth. And it's all volunteers and it's all open source. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorite open source projects. And that's the um, disaster relief yes. projects that they do, right? And I believe that's that's um, Richard Campbell, Bill Wagner, yes. and some of those some of those types exactly. of folks that are heading there. Exactly. Now. Yes. And and Bill's been very kind to me because he's been very encouraging, even though I'm a slaggard and haven't really done nearly enough with them. I'm I'm hoping to get involved with their Xamarin project because they are developing some. Uh, mobile applications as well for the humanitarian toolbox. Oh, very cool. Sounds like we should have them on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bill Wagner is a great, great person to have on the show. And, and Richard is, you know, he's .NET rocks. He's just uh, an icon in the podcasting world. Sure, sure, sure. But Jesse, you also have your own podcast too, right? Called Yet Another Podcast? I do. Yes, Yet Another Podcast. We've got about 150 some odd episodes over the last, I want to say, six or seven years. And I've been very lucky with some of the folks who've come on. We're going to get the two of you on as well. Yeah, sure. I'd love, love to be Sweet. on. Sweet. That'd be cool. It's, um, it's, it's a, hopefully it's a relaxed conversation. We tend to be uh, a little bit more technical sure. and and dive into some of the technology as best as possible in a podcast. I have no idea. I studiously avoid finding out what my audience is because it's, you know, probably like six people and then I'll be sad. <laughs> <laughs> but it, doing the podcast is a blast. It's a, it's a really good way to uh, talk with people in the industry and hopefully provide some useful information to people in the industry. And I also get to buy all this cool podcasting equipment. <laughs> you have to justify yes. the expense, right? Exactly. Yes. So what made you decide to get into podcasting? I, I think that the podcasting started shortly after my serious blogging started. And I felt that I wanted more of a direct connection to some of the folks who are doing interesting things in the industry. One of the downsides of working for yourself can be a certain amount of isolation. And so the podcast really broke through that. Uh, I also discovered that it was helping me with my own communication. When you listen to yourself as you're editing a podcast, you learn very quickly how well you communicate, and how well you talk. And I've been trying to teach myself to avoid using space fillers like um and ah, and, you know, really trying to learn to, to be better at articulating what I want to say. I don't know how successful, but the podcast has certainly helped. I could tell you for a fact that I've definitely suffered from that, particularly in the beginning. I did not want to listen to myself on a recording. Like, I don't know who this guy is, but he does not sound like me. <laughs> you know, um, there's lots of the ums and the ahs and you knows. And and they, and they seem to happen in rapid succession. Yes, yes, they do. And when you listen to yourself, you never realize that, is that really what I sound like? Because that, I must sound like a blabbering idiot to half of these people that I'm talking to. No, uh, I think people just filter it out. I mean, everybody does it. Yeah. And I think we just filter it out. But when you're hearing yourself it has a, a, a strong impact on, on how you see yourself and, and, and how you understand your role. Also, I have an editor, so I can just cut out a lot of those. <laughs> so yeah. That yeah. That's, I do a lot of that. <laughs> Look, I sound like a smart person now. <laughs> click, click, click. Exactly. That's the power of the editing. Gotta love that. Jesse, we've, we've spoken a lot about your career, some of the things that you've done. Why don't you tell us a little bit about like your personal life? Like, what are some of the things that you do when you're not working? Like, what do you do with your family? And I know you're a father and a husband and that type of thing. Like, what are what are some of the activities you guys participate in? Well, I'm I'm fairly boring, but my kids are interesting. I, my older daughter is a preschool teacher, 
and she is terrific at it and really enjoys it. And she's also a uh, cat foster parent. So oh, cool. they bring kittens to her and she fosters them until they're ready to be adopted. Mm. So, so she's terrific. And my younger daughter, who is also terrific, I'm, I'm completely objective about this, is uh, in college in Pennsylvania. And she's uh, political. She is extremely involved with a number of different political causes. And she has educated me about how to think about and how to talk about a number of topics, including sexual orientation, sexual identity, breaking down the uh, sexual binary. And she's also been very supportive of another, a number of other causes. So she's really given me a, a great perspective on a number of things that, you know, I was involved with when I was about her age, but the world has really changed since then. And so getting that perspective has been great. She works very hard and is doing very well. And I, I can imagine that she'll end up as a social worker working with probably battered women or children and, and maybe one day in an NGO in Africa or someplace. So, so her, she's really a very exciting person. Uh, so that, that's a big part of my life. Uh, in terms of the things that I'm avid, if that's the right phrase about is, uh, really just reading and theater, uh, theater and film, but as a, as a spectator, I, I do read a lot and, uh, work hard at making good use of that time. So I'm pretty selective. What are some used, of the books that you've read recently? Uh, well, <laughs> how far back do you want to go? I have on my webpage uh, my top, I think, 100 favorite books. Wow. And on Goodreads, I have a, a list that I pulled in from Amazon of about 1,200 books that I've read over the past number of years. Uh, there, At the moment, I'm reading a wonderful book about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I'm reading a book called At the Existentialist Cafe, which is really terrific. It's, it's so much fun. Um, what else am I reading? Oh, I just started a book called The History of the World. And this is a great book because it starts with, you know, where do you begin a history of the, of the world? So he goes back to the uh, first humanoids and takes you up through the Australopithecus and the the uh, Neanderthal and then the beginning of Homo sapiens and the beginning of history and it's going to take you all the way through to uh, I think it goes up to 2015. The book is huge. It's like 1,200 pages. So I think that'll keep me busy for a while. So, so <laughs> I got to ask you this: Are you a ebook reader, a physical book mm -hmm. reader, or are you an audio book person? I am a committed ebook reader and audio book reader. I have not read a book on paper in a couple of years. The reason for that is that I'm usually reading four or five books at a time uh, and, and not having to carry them around or select one is great. So I love my Kindle and I love audiobooks because that allows me to listen while I'm doing chores and while I'm driving and so forth. And one of the things that Kindle offers, which is great, is called WhisperSync where you can read your book and then flip over to the audible and it picks up right where you were, listen to that for a while and then flip back to the book, which is just astounding. Oh, that's very uh, cool. I, I would say if I have one talent, I don't play piano, I can't sing, I don't dance, but I can read books a paragraph or two at a time. And that has allowed me to read a lot of books because I can grab a book and read you know, for two minutes while I'm waiting for something and then pick it up later. So that's, that's my one talent. That's really tough for me. Cause I usually have to go back a few pages. Like, okay, where was I again? Okay. All right. Now, now right. I, I'm ready. To go. <laughs> so yeah, I get, I get a fair amount of reading done. It's, it's harder when I'm busy with work and I try very hard to make sure that at least one of the books I'm reading is in the field. I, I, I would say about 80% of my reading is nonfiction. Occasionally I get into bursts of novels and occasionally I get into bursts of reading tech books. But my interests in nonfiction are pretty 
wide. And and I listen to a fair amount of music while I'm working and when I'm not working. And there my my tastes run to virtually everything from from pop to classical to classic rock to a little bit of country and western uh hip hop you know really a w- pretty wide range of music that i get a great deal of enjoyment out of here's one thing we like to ask some of our guests what type of music do you listen to when you're you're doing work that's a great question i i try to listen to a wide variety but i end up going back to uh, a lot of classic rock some current pop and every once in a while i get into serious metal or and or prog rock um it really depends on my mood i love absolutely love dream theater i think they're phenomenal and and i do a fair amount of work with that on um the one thing i don't really like when i'm working is uh is music like show tunes or even some of the i will listen to some of the standards but it's harder to work when i'm i find that more distracting the other thing that happens is that i'll be if i'm really focused three or four songs will go by that i didn't even hear yeah (laughs) yes i do suffer from uh from some level of hyper focus from time to time where i'll be working and suddenly you know, I started working at 8 a.m. and suddenly I'll say, oh, I'm getting a little hungry and it's, you know, 6 p.m. <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, time to go eat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I know that happens to me sometimes too. Again, I, I really have a lot of respect for you, mainly from how long you've been doing this and, and, and not only doing it, but you've been doing it so well. You You're know, right. what, are some, what are some of the, you know, any types of advice or tips that you want to give developers today to have, again, a, a long, healthy, productive career as a software developer? Oh, my. I'm going to sound so pretentious. Uh-oh. Uh, I think there are a few ingredients. One is to keep your client's needs forefront. Um, we, we tend to get caught up in the technology and lose sight of what the client's trying to accomplish. So that's one. Uh, the other is to write highly maintainable code because there's nothing worse than either going back to your own code or having somebody else come to your code and say, what is this? So <laughs> that, that would be number two. And I think number three would be to try for me, at least would be to try to constantly be learning the next thing as you're perfecting whatever it is you're working on at the moment. So those, those three things have worked pretty well for me for a while. I, I think the other thing is to, is to teach one way or another, whether it's writing uh, articles or books or working for Pluralsight. The more you teach, the, the, the more you learn and the more, the more solid your skills become. So I, I have found teaching to be tremendously helpful in, in, in nailing down my understanding. So does that mean that we're going to get an Angular 2 course from you sometime pretty soon? I hope so. Honestly, this is the last question. I swear to God. No more questions <laughs> after this. So I got to ask you the question of the show. is a question we ask pretty much everybody that, that comes through away from the keyboard. And that is, what do you do when you're away from the keyboard? Although I think you can answer that already, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I would say it's, you know, like I said, I live, I'm pretty boring. I, I spend time with my kids. I read. I go to movies. Uh, I Now that Netflix has gotten so good, I watch fair amount of netflix big big fan of sense eight and of the sense eight was good they had a great show and uh, the killing i thought was a really excellent show there are some really really good shows uh there's a you know ton of junk oh and this year of course i've been highly involved with and entertained by the politics by the by the presidential race oh, which has geez. been a hoot i like to call that reality tv for politics Yes, exactly. And depending, you know, if it turns out the way I hope it does, and I won't voice what that is, but if it turns out the way I hope it does, I will look back at this as the most interesting year that I can remember in politics. And if it goes the other way, I will be severely upset and terrified. We'd like to thank Jesse for being a guest on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with him. 
If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTKpodcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to the newsletter where you get extra episodes and behind-scene access to Away From The Keyboard. Next time on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have mobile indie developer Frank Kruger. The truth on my side was I had to cash in my entire savings account, all stocks I owned, all 401ks, turned in every favor I had to every friend. I was broke for two years and slowly but surely just pulled myself up out of the mud and got profitable. This was a really fun episode. I know I say that a lot, but it really was. Frank it was a great conversationist. Yeah, Frank was a really fun guy to talk to, man. And so we're definitely looking forward to you guys listening to this. Yeah, so don't miss this one. See ya. Bye. to thank you for listening to away from the keyboard as a reminder we will have new episodes each and every week you can interact with us on twitter at aftk podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com hasta luego I will agree with you if the Cubs win the World Series. Then it would be the most interesting year I've ever seen. <laughs> well, good luck with that. <laughs> but, you know, you never know. The curse of the babe was lifted and, and the Red Sox won the series. So anything yeah, that, can happen. That's right. That's exactly right. So here, here's hoping that uh, we can win one since 1908. Ouch. I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't have, I have a shirt that says World Series Champions 0708, but too bad it wasn't 2000. 07 and 08. <laughs> Just. That's a serious Cubby fan. Ha, oh, I'm a fourth generation Cubs fan, right? So my great grandfather, um, he came from Germany in the early 1900s. And he was a, in, in of course, Chicago had a, a large German uh, population. So mm-hmm. he kind of, you know, worked his way over there. And he was a White Sox fan, was not a Cubs fan. But the Black Sox scandal happened in 1919. So he became uh, a Cubs fan at that point. He's like, enough of these people, these cheaters. I'm going to root for the Cubs. And so he he grew up, uh, he raised my uh, grandfather as a Cub fan. And my dad was raised as a Cub fan. And I'm raised as a Cub fan. And now I'm raising my kids as a Cub fans. And we've had to see nothing but misery and pain and torment (laughs) throughout that time. We have not seen a World Series. So um, I'm hoping they win for my dad. Because he's been a huge Cubs fan, he uh, he played catcher in high school and college, and uh, was nearly drafted by of all teams, the White Sox. Um, but it's been it's been a really good year this year. So it's the most fun Cubs season I've ever uh, had this year. Um, they've won a lot, so we'll see if they could do something in the playoffs. If not, they still it was a, it's a fun season, much. 
better than at the end of April. We're like, okay, well, uh, is it next year yet? Because <laughs> we could, we could, it's over for us. Uh, not mathematically, but close. Uh, <laughs> going back to Netflix, yes. have you seen Stranger Things yet? I've no. been hearing about that show. I need to watch oh. that. You need to see Stranger Things. Stranger Things is amazing. Stranger Things is like this love letter uh, from the late 70s cinema and the early 80s cinema. A, a lot of good referencing, you know, Spielberg and uh, movies like Stand By Me and Explorers. And he's kind of got this weird uh, monster vibe, kind of like Silver Bullet and Stephen King. Um uh, it you could see it had a lot of um, uh, influence on it, but it's really well done, and it's and it's it's not like uh, a Netflix series. It's more like an eight-hour movie. Oh, and um, I, 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 I we binge watched it. I think in a couple nights, and um, it it is so good, and um, it is so well done and so well wit, well, well written. Um, I'm hoping they do a season two quickly, but. Um, it's, it's, it's become my favorite, um, Netflix series, but I think it's, well, it's be quickly become one of my favorite series kind of of all time. Um, I don't think anything's going to top Buffy, but you never know. I mean, it could. Who well, knows? for me, it's Orphan Black and Sense8, and I'm, yeah. I'm thrilled to know that both of them are going to have another season and, and Sherlock, but that's not a Netflix thing. Um, there are quite a few good shows now, which is great. Because uh, for a long time, they, it was just, you know, a wasteland. Well, I think now that, you know, because TV has opened up to, I could watch it at any time via Hulu, Amazon, or Netflix, or, or HBO, and we could throw that in there too, that I don't have to sit there and just watch it, you know, when it comes on at 9 p.m. on Thursdays. Right. I could kind of binge watch it all at once. And we've, I think it's really democratized what we watch. And all of a sudden, you know, our friends like, oh, have you seen that show? That show is pretty good. And then we can kind of get caught up with four or five seasons very quickly and kind of be in the mix. Yes. That's how I watched Lost. I watched Lost in about a day and a half, you know, <laughs> just totally straight. <laughs> no way. No way. No, it wasn't a day and a half, but it was, it, but <laughs> no I did binge watch it. Right, right, right. I think it took me like two or three days to watch all of Lost. Yes. I saw it as it came out and I don't want to see it again. I'm fine. <laughs> Thanks. I would watch it again. I think it was pretty interesting. I actually liked Boss. What I didn't see was um, Prison Break. I know a lot of people talk about Prison Break, but I have yet to see that. I haven't seen it. Yeah, not me. But if you I haven't seen, if you haven't seen uh, uh, Sensei and or um, um, Orphan Black. Orphan Black, yeah. They're both brilliant. Orphan those, Black yeah, is brilliant. I need to see that. Are those both on Netflix? No, uh, Sense Eight is on Netflix, and Orphan Black is on. I Hulu? can't remember whether it's BBC America. I think it is. Okay, I think it's Amazon. I think Amazon has it. Oh yes, I think you're right. I think they have the older seasons. Yeah, um, I think Amazon has it. In, incredible show. Uh, this one actress plays. Well, I don't want to give anything away, but she plays a number of different parts, and you can absolutely distinctly tell who she is just when she walks on uh, which of the myriad people she is. And she's, she's just, uh, she's, uh, her name is Tatiana Maslany, I think is how you say it. And she is just extraordinary. And yeah, you're not the only one to, to tell me that. And I need to add that to my list as well as the same people who say you need to watch Orphan Black also tell me that they need to, I need to see Penny Dreadful. And so I need to add both those. Yeah, I've heard that one is pretty good too. And Sensate is uh, Sensate's uh, by the Bukowskis, who did The Matrix. Yep, yep, mm. yep. I, I, you know, they actually did film around the world. Um, uh, that yes. I, I heard, and they actually went to all these different locations, and I think that that really added to the kind of realism of of the show. I enjoyed Sense8 a lot. Yes. I thought it was uh, it was really well done. Yeah, the problem is you have to give it four or five episodes. Before yes, things start yes. getting interesting. Mm. Yes, you, you don't have to do that with with Stranger Things. Okay. <laughs> it's good Fair right enough. off the bat. It was, it it, it had. My, my wife doesn't really like the the really scary horror-y things, mm -hmm. and this isn't like that. But she kind of thought it maybe because of the way it was it was built up and and the way the title scenes came in. But um, it really it hooked her right away, and she was she was just kind of caught 
uh, with that, even though she wasn't kind of in that whole 80s. Uh, she was in the later 80s, not like me when the, you know, uh, early 70s and or late 70s and early 80s uh, when I was a kid. But um, man, I, I can't say enough good things about it. it. It was amazing. Very cool. So I am literally right now on Netflix adding things to buy. <laughs> As you guys are talking, I'm just here. Click, 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 click. All right, gentlemen, I think I'm leaving you. Yes. Okay. Yes. But this was great. No, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, definitely. You'll, you'll let me know when when I can listen to it. Yeah, definitely. So just really quickly before you go, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of give you so some housekeeping items you want to take care of. So um, before your episode goes out, there's going to be a couple of things that we're going to ask that you could send us if you can. Sure. Um, so one's going to be your update up, updated bio. Yes. Um, we'd like to have that. Um, a headshot or a profile picture of some sure. sort that we could put next to your episode. Mm-hmm. And then we also ask our guests to give us an action photo. So the action photo is kind of like the banner of your episode page. And, um, you know, we, we kind of let our guests have fun with it, right? We've gotten stuff from scenery to, you know, comic book character, cosplay dress up all kinds of you know I mean, pe- video game avatar video game avatar like people do all kinds of different things with it right so it's it's kind of okay. like you know people picture you climbing or running or visiting exotic places teaching, teaching. Uh, yeah we got a lot of teaching i'll uh, i'll send you a picture of uh, my workspace with all my toys oh see so, yeah oh that's beautiful yeah there you go that that'll be yeah. perfect um, that's great so so those those three things um what i'll actually do too is i'll, I'll send you an email reminder um just to, to kind of recap that that'll be and, great and then um but yeah but that's about it so again thank you very much appreciate your time and um you know let's let's keep in touch right let's uh we'll talk to you soon absolutely and thank you for doing this sure thank you okay. thank you if you need my call recorded just let me know I'll, oh, yeah. I'll hold on to it in case you need the tracks. Yeah, send it over to me. Yeah. Email it over yeah. when you send okay. that other stuff, and then I'll just download it and, and put it in with the rest of our, um, you know, artifacts. Okay, it's big yeah. enough that I'll probably put it in Dropbox and send you a Dropbox. link. Yeah, yep. yeah, that'll That's work great. just fine. That'll work. Okay, fine. great, great. All right, thank you, Jesse. Again, great. you have a good thank night, you, Jesse. All right, take care, gentlemen. All right, bye bye.